job and take your Bibles if you would. Check, take them to Second Peter this evening. Second Peter, and we are looking at verse number ten tonight. Second Peter, and chapter one, verse ten. Second Peter, chapter one, verse ten. We begin with an introduction, of course, of this book since we've already gone through First Peter. Now we're in Second Peter. We look at an introduction and finding out how we can know we're, we're saved. And then secondly, how to continue in our relationship with God. And then tonight, we're looking at the secret of concluding or the concluding well. How to finish well. It's often so much like in anything, whether it be football, as, as we're in this sport this time of year, as in really anything in life, racing, uh, wrestling, and so many other things, it's not so much how you begin it's how you finish. It's how you finish. Uh, it's important how you finish. Uh, the last 18 years before I came here, Fort Myers, Naples is more of a retirement community th than this is. Of course, a lot of snowbirds, half the population of the church was snowbirds. We would actually almost double, sometimes triple our population from January till Easter. A lot of snowbirds. So Pastor Lytell often would talk about the importance of finishing well. Uh, you know, it's not so much how you start, though it's important, it's how you finish. And that that's, is on the mind of Peter, especially now. In 2 Peter, as we talked about in the introduction, he is facing his, his end. He knows it's coming to pass. He's writing this letter to the scattered brethren that's around, who's facing persecution from Nero. I've talked about Nero, Brother Pete's talked about Nero in Sunday school class. He's facing persecution. His no, he knows his days are numbered, and he's writing this, this second epistle to try to encourage them, try to strengthen them, trying to help his brothers and sisters in Christ. But he wants to finish well, and I hope you want to finish well too. I hope you want to finish strong. Some people just kind of limp, along, limp across the finish line. I hope you sprint across the finish line. I hope you say, well, I'm going to do less for Jesus. I hope you don't say that. I hope you say, I want to do more for Jesus. I hope you want to do more. <laughs> you want to do more, be more. Uh, as, as God would give you grace and mercy and talent and ability, say, as you end this thing, and we never, none of us know how long we got, that you say, I want to give it my best. When I was once upon a time when I used to run uh, in, back in high school, that last little quarter mile, the coach would say, sprint. He would say, give it the best you call it. He said, call it the kick. Give it everything. You kick, run so much like you're kicking in the air. And, and that, would be, that would be everything you had left. You, you didn't have anything after that. You just want to fall on the ground and just basically die. I hope, that's, I hope that's what you want to do spiritually in, in your life. I've seen so many people get towards their retirement years, and they kind of slough off. They used to be faithful in church, and they only come like once. And they used to come to visitation, now none at all. They used to sing in the choir, not no more. They used to do stuff, you'd, um, you'd ask them to come, and they would be Johnny in the spot, but then you, you call them now, and you can't even get them to call you back. <laughs> Don't be a slack Christian. Be a strong Christian. Finish well. And that's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 10 here in chapter number 1, verse 10. 
Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence, make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. For and so an interest shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things through you know them. Be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by the putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ had showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able to, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed uh, cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or eyewitnesses of the majesty for received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. This is the voice which came from the heaven we heard we were when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as a light unto a shining as a dark place unto the day dawn, the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this First, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this time we have together. I pray you bless it. I pray you sanctify us. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would speak to each one of us this evening. Give us ears to hear what you have for us tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, be sure, be sure of your salvation, be sure where you're going, be sure of your direction. It says here in verse 10, wherefore, uh, the rather, brethren, uh, instead of what we read in verse 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind, cannot see afar off, and forgotten, he that hath purged, he that was purged from his old sins, instead of being like that, instead of being a failure, no, he says, be, be diligent, be diligent, it's, this, this definition of, of diligent, interesting, conveys the idea of zeal and haste. It means we must exert ourselves, make an effort, strive, try in everything we do. What your, whatever your hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Mama used to say, if you're going to do anything, do it well. Do it well. Do it to the best of your ability. Don't just, don't just do it to do it, but do it because it, it needs to be to do it. That's in every area of life. Men, that's in the washing of, your, of the dishes. I didn't hear one woman say amen. Not one woman. That's, that's in the cooking of the food. That's the best of your ability. Lately, I've been, I've been doing a meal for my wife on Fridays. Crazy, busy mama. That's the plus. She has all these different recipes. I've been doing a crock pot recipe for my wife. Three or four ingredients, guys. Put it in a crock pot. Put a liner in it. Six hours, it's done, and your wife will be oh so happy. I just helped you a lot, guys. You owe me. You owe me a whole lot right there. Crazy busy mama. You can do it. Okay? And whatever you do, do it with all thy might. Give it your best. Man, <laughs> that's, that's important. Yeah, we see this definition of to be diligent. But secondly, he talks about, we, we see determinism or God's sovereignty versus free will. Wherefore, you, you rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. 
If you do these things, you shall never fail. Now, we've talked about this on many occasions. I'll, I'll share with you a couple of quotes from my favorite commentators, John Phillips. He says, election according to foreknowledge, which is in turn is according to God's omniscience, the sovereign choice of God in foreordination or election and predestination are based on his omniscient knowledge of possible choices and events. Some events are divinely caused, other events are divinely permitted. God foreknew how all men would act under various circumstances of life. He permits them so to act as part of the eternal plan. At the same time, he leaves everyone room enough to be responsible for his own behavior. So is it sovereignty of God or free will? It's both. <laughs> God prepares the table for everyone to eat. Whosoever will can, shall come. But also, there's, God has a, a place in that too. He, he woos us unto salvation. He calls us unto salvation. The Father draws us. He desires us to come. And you see that, that sovereignty and that free will perfectly in this verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. You men of Israel, this is Peter, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among me, many miracles, uh, wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as yourselves know him, being delivered by the determinate counsel, foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So you see the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Where's, where's, where is that fine line? I don't know where it's at, but there, there is a line. But they're both true. They're both true. The Bible tells us the Lord knoweth them that are his. He knows them that are his. John Phillips goes on to say, true God elects, calls, predestinates, foredains, chooses. True, there's a given total number of the redeemed. And these make up the company of God's elect. True, true it is. God's grace that operates throughout. God calls. Some people respond. Others refuse. God is sovereign in either case, but his sovereignty never rides roughshod over others. The Holy Spirit sees to it that everyone has the opportunity and the ability to respond when God calls. Our duty is to respond. So we see both. The word here, sure, here in verse, means to be steadfast, to be steadfast, and, and to continue. Romans chapter 4, verse 16, therefore is, it is of faith that you might be by grace to the end promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to that which is of the law, but also that which is of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us. So we see the importance of being sure, sure of our relationship with God, sure in our knowledge of him, sure of our standing before God. But secondly, as I already mentioned to you a little bit, the importance of being stirred, of being stirred. Every now and then you got to stir, you got to stir the soup. You you can't just let it, you know, you're cooking something. If you just let it sit there, it's going to get all messed up, right? you got to stir it. And so is in the Christian life. Why do we have the preaching? One of the reasons we have the preaching, the Word of God, is to stir us up, to challenge us, to motivate us. And that's not just through the preaching, but by you being here. We're supposed to provoke, encourage, help one another, challenge one another, that's the goal. That's one of the functions of the local church. And probably why a lot of people don't go to church. Because they don't like to be stirred. They don't like to be challenged. They don't like to be, you know, the Holy Spirit speaking to them. And dear friend, there's a whole big difference between the Holy Spirit speaking to you and a live audience that listen to it and watch it on TV. There just really is. There's nothing can, that can replace the preaching and the hearing of the word of God in a live audience. 
I'm thank God for all the other things that technology allows us to do and has allowed us to do in the past, but nothing replaces this. And this whole philosophy of technology of having church here and then you know everybody else being somewhere else and satellite churches and everybody staying home in their pajamas and watching, I don't think that's how God intended it. Now, in circumstances, it might work out, but I believe God intended it as he began it where people gathered together in a place and that there was teaching and preaching of his word. That's how he began it, and I believe that's primarily how he's designed it. So we see the importance of being stirred. Verse 12, wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them to be established in the present truth. We see Peter's exhortation. Peter's exhortation. He says, and we know in, in uh, the Bible says in Joshua chapter 14, verse 9 through 12, I have wholly followed the Lord. This is Caleb talking. I'm as strong this day as I was in the, the day when Moses sent me, as his, my strength was then, so is my strength now for war. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Oh, Caleb, he got to the end of his life, and he didn't just sit there and say, well, y'all just give me what you want. He said, I want that mountain. And what did that mean? That means he's going to have to take everybody off there, all those pagans, all those giants. He's going to have to make a place and say, I'm, I'm going to defeat all those people, but I want it. I love that type of attitude, that type of, hey, what can I do to make things better? I love when people come to me and say, preacher, I got a suggestion for you. Hey, preacher, what can, what can we do to make things better? What, what, what can we, how can we be better and greater and wonderful? How? Man, I love that. I love that initiation, that desire to press on, to be greater than you were before, not just to settle. Don't just settle. Be stirred. Peter is given exhortation. He knows the people, these folks that he's speaking to, writing to, knows about men like Caleb and Joshua, men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, men like David and Samson, who did so many wonderful things. Now, what does it take? If you're going to be stirred, it's going to take effort. It's going to take effort. It's not just going to happen. <laughs> it's like multiplication tables. How many of you remember your multiplication table? Who can quote them tonight? Some of you probably could. I read this little quote. Multiplication is vexation. Division is as bad. The rule of three doth puzzle me, and practice drives me mad. <laughs> oh, my soul. Yes, it does. Some folks, are, some folks love that stuff, some people don't. But he's he using this word negligent. It means to be careless or to make light of something. Peter was determined not to be, guilt, not to be guilty of that. Nor was the apostle Paul, 1 Timothy 4, 14, neglect not the gift that is in these. He's writing to Timothy, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying of the hands of the presbytery. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13, is how, we, how we, shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which was first begun by the spoken of the word, was confirmed to us by them that heard him. So we see the, the word negligent, but we know the work of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of that truth. John chapter 14, verse 26, for the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. Think about Peter. You think during this time of reflection is he's thinking about what his things and I'm sure he always was reflecting on the time he had with Lord Jesus Christ I'm sure he reflected many a time of his denial of the Lord Jesus Christ 
You ever think about what the times in your life where you failed the Lord? I think sometimes the, our flesh reminds us. I think the devil reminds us. I think we sometimes are uh, reminded by the world, the, the things of the world. But imagine him thinking about those time, that time he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when Jesus told him, you're going to do it. You're going to deny me three times. And he said, no, I'm not. no, everybody forsake you. I won't forsake you. And what did he do? He denied him just like Jesus said he was going to deny him. Oh, I'm sure he remembered those words. I'm sure he remembered other things that happened. But he determined, though he had failed in the past, he didn't let the failure of the past define who he was. So many people live in the past. And they like let the failures of the past, especially in their youth, define who they are to the rest of their life. No, you're defend, your failure doesn't f- define you. Your finish defines you. Your finish. Let your finish de- define you. So that when this preacher stands behind that pulpit, if I live so long, and I'm looking down at your casket, I can say, he finished well. She finished well. Like what I can say about Miss Wanda, brother. She finished well. She had a good entrance into, the, into heaven. That's wonderful when a preacher can say that. But trust me, it's a little more difficult when he can't say that. But I can say, well, now that he's in heaven, here's what I think he would want me to say now. <laughs> so we do have a way out. <laughs> we have a plan B if plan A doesn't work. Amen. And we all need a plan, plan B. So we see his exhortation, but his example in verse 13. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up in putting up remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you will be able, after my decease, to have these things away in my remembrance. So we see this word negligence. He's saying to us, remember, remember what, what what's happened to us in the course his denial before the Lord Jesus Christ, but secondly, his example. It's this word meat here, interesting word. It's a word it means, to, it means to be righteous. It means to do that which is right, which occurs 80 times in the, New Te- in the New Testament. He wants us to be diligent as he's being diligent. And he's reminding us of our own mortality that he knows he's going to put off his tabernacle his body there's going to be an exodus there's going to be a he's going to have a death the word decease here this word is exodus it means a way out a departure all of us are going to or depart there's going to be a time when we depart we don't know when that's going to be remember jesus talked about his very departure in john chapter 21 verse 18 verily i verily i say unto you when thou wast young thou girdest thyself walkest where thou wouldest when thou shalt be old Thou stretchest forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. And that's exactly what happened. As far as tradition goes, we know Peter, we believe, was hung not like Jesus was on the cross, but upside down. So we see his example. Example. So we're to be sure. We're to be, we, should, we ought to be stirred. And thirdly, this evening, we're to be secure. We're to be secure in our relationship with him. And how can we be secured? Well, there's no better way than we, we see in verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of, of his majesty. What do we know about this book? That it is a book of integrity. Integrity. This word fables, interesting word, it's, it's that which is fake, that which is made up. 
I was reading that about these different books that Talmud, Talmud has, uh, had a, has a quotia of fables. That Apocrypha talks about some things that we're not quite sure of. But Greek, Greek philosophy, of course, there's lots of fa- fables, mythology. But when it comes to the word of God, it's not, it's not, there's no fables here. There's no, this, is not, this is not some story. And I know sometimes when we talk about Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we talk about stories. But these are all biblical, historical accounts that actually happened. Okay? <laughs> they actually happened. Uh, it's amazingly Amazing how, how the, all this works together because we know it's, this book is divinely inspired. There's not, these are not cunningly devised fables. These are not the mere works of men who got together. And as you study the word of God and you see how something was foretold in the Old Testament, like going back to, as we've talked about, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God said to Adam and Eve and, and to the serpent, hey, there's coming a day where the end of it is, yeah, you, you've hurt the heel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and what you've done here. But one day is coming where the seed of the woman is going to crush your head, serpent. And that's what's going to happen. So we see the, the, the prophecy of old, thing, old Testament things coming to pass in the New Testament. That's why it's important to know those things in the Old Testament and say, here, this is what happened in the Old. Look what's happened in the New. And be able to show somebody the importance and the integrity of the Word of God. Dear friend, knowing the Bible and its integrity is one of the most important things that we need to know as Christians. Because the first thing people are going to ask you, how do you know that book is true? That's the woman number one questions I get from people, the unsaved. They say, that's just a book of, that's just a book of men. That's just a book written by men. You, you can't prove it, and then I have to go into this dialogue of how it's true. But if a person doesn't believe the Bible, they can't be saved. They have to to believe the Bible is actually the word of God. It's not just fables. It's not just stories. It's not just the word of of men. It's It's not just myth. It's true. We see its integrity. But secondly, it's instruction. It's instruction, verse Verse 17, we received from God the Father honor and glory, and there came such a voice to him from from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Peter gives this illustration, of course, focusing on that little group of men, Peter, James, and John, who got the opportunity to see Jesus there on the Mount of Transfiguration and see Christ transformed into his glory. What a wondrous sight that would be. And, of course, he was... Uh, Peter was, again, putting his feet in his mouth and thinking about making a tabernacle for, for Moses and one for Elijah and one for Jesus. And then there's a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son, and him in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. Listen to him. Oh, yeah, Moses is important in all that he's done. Thank God for what Moses did. Elijah is important in all that he did in his time there in Israel. But who's most, who's most important? The Lord Jesus Christ. Hear him. Listen to him. This is talking about his, his, his first coming, but we're looking forward to his second coming. When he, when he comes back, he says, This is my beloved son, whom I well please. The voice which came from heaven, we heard when we, we were in the him in the, in the holy mount. For we have more sure word of prophecy where we do well, that you take heed as a light that shineth in the dark places, the day dawn, the day star rise in your hearts. 
uh, we see this power. Interesting word. It's the word Greek word dunamis. It means unhindered, untrampled, unequal power. The power that is of God. There's there is no other power like God's power. Don't ever get this idea that the power of God and the power of the devil sometimes equal. No, remember the devil was an angel who was a created being. God is the creator. It's not like Star Wars, you have a good force and a bad force that are, are always fighting one upon each other. No, that's, that is fable there. You know that's fable, right? <laughs> Just make sure you all know that, okay? That's all fake, that's not all real. It looks real, but it's all fake. So God has the power. And they were eyewitnesses of a majesty. They saw it. They got to see it. <laughs> they, did, they didn't just hear about it. When, when there is a crime, it's good to have an eyewitness of that crime. Were you there? Because if we lined up, and you've seen this done, if, I w- if we were lined everybody up in this room, and I was to tell you something, by the time that got to the end of the line of people in this room, it would be totally distorted from what I actually said the first time. It, you, you just, you probably, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those scenarios, you've actually done that. But when an eyewitness sees it, there's credibility there. It's not getting it from what they thought they saw, what they heard they saw, but they saw it. And Peter was an eyewitness. Mark and Mark put that down as we've talked about in the past. He, he explained to Mark the, the glory of the, that opportunity he had to be there. And I'm sure he did with many other disciples. But what a wonderful opportunity he had to, to share that experience. There's nothing like being there at a certain place. I, I can't explain to you. I was talking to somebody about a high altitude like Mile House Stadium. There's, I, it's hard for me to explain to you P- Pikes Peak, but you have to go to Pikes Peak to understand it. I can't, it's hard to explain to you Grand Canyon. You actually have to go to Grand Canyon to, to experience it. Oh, I can tell you, I can, I can, the best of my ability, I can try to explain it, but it's nothing like being there. And dear friend, it's nothing like knowing the voice of God and sensing his voice and knowing his presence and living in his will. If you don't know that, if you never felt his presence, if you ever never heard him leading you, guiding you through the Holy Spirit of God, that's such a wonderful thing. And every Christian should know that and experience that, not just once upon a time, but on a regular basis. And how do we do that? Primarily through reading his word, through reading his word. Oh, yes, we see the heavenly vision, the heavenly voice. But we have a sure word, a sure word. And it's incomparability. There's nothing compares to the the beauty, the wonder, the glory of the word of God. Not even the heavenly voice, not even this heavenly vision. Peter is saying here, verse 19, we, even though I've heard this, even though I heard the voice of God, even though I saw what Christ did, we have a more sure word of prophecy, verse 19. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as a light into a, into, and a shineth in a dark place until a day dawn, the day star arise in your heart. So it's like being in a dark place. The word of God is a, 
lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. What brings you great guidance when, you're waking, when you wake up in the morning? I don't know if I wake up in the morning, I don't feel like quite alive. It takes me a little while. If I wake up in the morning and start reading the Word of God, start listening to the Word of God, however you get it into you, listening to it, reading it yourself or watching it, however you get it into you, it, it sparks something in me. It challenges me. It motivates me. It refreshes me. It encourages me. It excites me. It helps me. There's nothing like the Word of God. Oh, I read the newspaper. I read about what's going on in the world. I read about everything that's going wrong. Then by the grace of God, I start reading about everything that's right. <laughs> I say, woe is me. And then hallelujah, praise the Lord. Because we live in a world that's dark. And dear friend, it is getting darker. It's getting darker. But you know what? Even in the darkest of places, all, it, all we need is just a little bit of light to dispel the darkness. Just a little bit. There's nothing that compares to the word of God. Nothing that compares to it. We see the illumination it brings. That it brings light and hope and truth. It's just like being in that dark place. The day star here means the light bringer. It's the last title of Christ in the Bible that sets him before us as the light and morning star in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16. Christ is the light of the world. You know what? He wants us to be lights. It's like we take great pains this time of year to put up lights. <laughs> I, read, I read of somebody uh, last year. They got a bunch of saran wrap, and they wrapped their Christmas tree, put it up in the attic, put it back down, unwrapped the saran wrap, and it was like perfect after just a little bit of work. I said, man, that's a good idea. I'd never heard that before. But, you know, we, you ever spent hours just trying to work on one little light? Trying to get that one little light bulb, and now they got these little fancy testers. Just while we have these, see the importance of lights in, all, in our trees, in our houses, our light that we shine is important wherever we are. That's why we ought to be bright lights. Where you go to work tomorrow, you ought to be a bright light. Where you go home, be that bright light. Be that light that everybody can see because I or, or any of us in this room can't be where you are and you can't be where we are, but you can be the light in that place, wherever it may be. We see his illumination and its inspiration. Knowing this first and no prophecy of the scriptures by any interpretation of the prophecy came not by the old time, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is not just one, this book is not just to be read by one person and say, well, this is how it is. This is how it is. Uh, Rome claimed for centuries, before anyone can arrive at the meaning of the text of the passage, he must first obtain the unanimous consent of the fathers. Hogwash. It's not for one religion or one group to say, this is what it is and that's what it always is. No, dear friend, you as a saint can read the word of God and understand it yourself. You can understand it yourself. You can, you can grasp it yourself. Now you have to understand the language. That's why it was so important for men like William Tyndale to translate it into the English language, not in Latin where the people couldn't understand, but in actually English so they could read it and understand it and thank God he did, though it cost him his life. The Catholic Church took his life. I listened to part of the life of a man by the name of Father Chinequi. He, he wrote a book 
an eye-opening book called 50 Years in the Roman in the Church of Rome. You want to read something that will awaken your eyes to the Church of Rome and what, it's, what, it, what it has done over the years, read or listen to that book. But, the, we, but if you're going to understand the Word of God, you have to understand what, what it, uh, the meaning of it. How do you get to the meaning of the Bible? Well, first of all, there's immediate context. The verses that come immediately before and after the first we ought to take in consideration. What is, it, what is it saying before that verse and, and after that verse? Secondly, there's a context of the book in which the passage is found. What's the, what's the, what's the climate? Where's the, who's speaking? What, what is he going through? What is the difficulties he's going through? What is the trouble that person is going through? Like, for instance, in the life of Peter, we know he's being persecuted. That sheds light to how we interpret this passage. So we see the immediate context, the context which you find that passage, and thirdly, we look at beyond at, the, at the, the biblical context that it's set in. We don't just take one verse and, and yank it out of scriptures and say, you know, this is what the whole Bible says because of one verse. Like, <laughs> we would be crazy to say, uh, like the one verse that Judas went out and hung himself. We just take the whole Bible and say, well, that's what we're supposed to do. No. In context, it fits. But these three areas are important when you're studying the Bible. What's it say in before? Who's, who, who's writing it? And is it, is it in context of the rest of the word of God? The expression, any private interpretation, comes for the word means it's special or its own. The Bible is no product of the will of man. It is, it is the, of the new birth. It's of God. It's not of us. <laughs> God, God will, use, will even use us. He used Balaam, didn't he? He used, he used Jonah, didn't he? He uses, uh, he uses people that are broken vessels, cracked vessels for his honor and his glory. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This idea is like a, a ship being borne along. When the ship was caught, like in Exodus, uh, book of Exodus, when the ship was caught and it could not bear into the wind, let her drive. We were driven. We see in Acts chapter 27, verse 15, in the same sense, the, 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 the writers of this word of God were inspired inspired they were driven along they were they were motivated they were moved to write these things these were not the, their words but God used their own personalities their own their own intellect their own conversation of life ultimately to like a sieve to write through these men to give us the word of God that we have today so when the Bible's finished hone out of living rock it is something that is perfect it is something that's permanent it is something that is perfect. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And what does that ultimately do? Give us hope that we can trust in something. Though we, it seems like we cannot trust in anything else in this world, I can say that you can trust in the word of God without any shadow of doubt. And dear friend, as we live this life, we're going to need more and more to lean on this book because this world and the things of this world are, as I said Sunday are going to get worse and worse but this, this, this beautiful book will remain beautiful it will remain perfect it will, it will remain preserved and it will give us hope in a dark world it will give us hope in closing I read this morning or heard actually the story of Admiral James B. Stockdale on September the 9th, 
1965, Admiral Stockdale catapulted his A-4 Skyhawk off the flight deck of USS Oscony on what turned about the final mission over North Vietnam. Approaching his target, his plane was riddled with anti-aircraft fire. Within seconds, his engine was aflame and all hydraulic control was gone. He punched out, watching his plane slam into the rice paddings, floated and explode like a fireball. Scott Stockdale himself described what happened next. He said, I ejected from the plane. I broke a bone in my back, but that was only a beginning. I landed in the streets of a small village. I thund a thundering herd was coming down on me. They were going to defend the honor of their own. It was the quarterback sack of the century. They tore off his clothes, beat him mercilessly. Stockdale suffered a broken leg, paralyzed arm before the military police took him off into custody. He was a prisoner of war, the highest ranking naval officers, officer to be held in POW in Vietnam. Ultimately, he was uh, put in the in infamous Hanoi Hilton, where he spent seven years, seven years. He was physically tortured no fewer than 15 times, beatings, whippings, near asphyxiation with ropes, mental torture. He was kept in co uh, solitary confinement in total darkness for four years, four years, chained in heavy abrasive leg, leg, leg irons for two years. Malnourished due to starvation, died, denied medical care, deprived of letters from home in a violation of the Geneva Convention. Eventually, they, the, the Vietnamese realized that he would not give any type of confession, so they allowed him to go home in 1973, where he became widely known, well known. He received the Medal of Honor in the, na in the nation's bicentennial year. He was one of the most highly decorated officers in the history of the Navy with 26 personal combat decorations, including four Silver Star Medals in addition to the Medal of Honor. He was asked at the end of this, how did you endure all these years? How did you endure the torture? How did you endure, endure the solitary confinement? He said, I never gave up hope in the end of the story. I never gave up hope in the end of the story. Dear friend, no matter how dark it is, never give up hope. <laughs> we have the end of the story. We have it right in front of us. In the end, we win. We win. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for those who've come. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to read it, to meditate on it, to study it, to memorize it, how precious it is. Maybe in your Christian life right now, you've not been diligent in spending time in, your, in the Bible. Maybe you've neglected it. Maybe you need to be stirred personally in your Christian life. Maybe you've kind of sloughed off a little bit. Maybe you've kind of just slid back a little bit. Maybe you're not the Christian that you used to be. Maybe you used to go on visitation or you used to do things for Jesus, but you just don't do them as much anymore. Not that you're doing maybe bad things, but you're not doing the best things. Maybe this, this night you need encouragement. You need to be stirred. You need to be encouraged to live for, live for the Lord a little better than you have been. With head bowed, eyes closed, and as the piano plays this evening, has God, Holy Spirit, spoken to your heart tonight? 
as the Holy Spirit whispered to you about some areas in your life you need to change, let's stand to our feet. If God has spoken to you tonight, the altar is open. You just like to come and pray and ask God to help you tonight. Maybe there needs to be some changes in your own life, some things you need to do better. You've neglected the word or neglected something that God wants you to do. Would you come? Maybe make a, make a, put a stake down in your life about some things that need to change in your life. Whatever the need, the altar's open tonight. Would you come? If you don't know the Lord is your Savior, we'd love for you to come. I'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. But Christian, tonight, are you living for the Lord the way you should be? Are you giving it your all? Are you doing all you can with everything you have? By the grace of God, can you say honestly, I'm doing my best for Jesus Christ tonight?